0: Well, please remain standing and open your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. We're going to begin reading from verse 36 through the end of the chapter and briefly into chapter 8. And before I do so, let's ask the Lord's blessing upon us. Now, gracious Father, we come to your most holy, precious word, and we ask for light. Lord, we ask that you would move upon our hearts to be receptive to these holy truths, these eternal truths. We pray, O oh Lord, that we'd be able to look into this text of scripture and see us for what we are, who we are. And more importantly than that, that we would see Christ for who he is. Now come, Father, bless this word. Come and bless your son. Bless us, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. I'll begin reading at verse 36. And now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with her with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. And now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. A money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have judged correctly. And turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. She has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with perfume. And for this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven." For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And then he said to her, Your sins have been forgiven. And those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And thus ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, brothers and sisters, we are continuing our study of the parables of Christ. And I am going to address those parables in Luke. And we've already addressed a few of those that are very unique to Luke. There's no sense in covering those parables that remain in all three of those Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But I'm going to begin covering those parables that are very unique or that are unique to Luke. And this is one of those parables. Now, there are at least a half a dozen other parables that teach a similar truth as this one. But yet, always remember that these parables have something unique about them, and there's a reason why the writer of each gospel presents them in the way they do. Now, one of the key features of Luke, compared to the other synoptics, Matthew and Mark, is that Luke highlights throughout his gospel the role, the ministry, the conversion, And the humility of women. Luke highlights throughout his gospel various women that are vitally important to the gospel message. And we have one before us this morning. In fact, the chapter itself opens up with A great compassion that Jesus has upon a widow who has lost her son. And the way the text presents this raising of the dead, if you will, is that there's this funeral procession and Jesus finds himself in the midst of this funeral procession, but he he looks and he notices that there is this widow who is in great distress and agony and grief. And the Bible tells us that Jesus had compassion on her and speaks and touches her son upon this stretcher being carried through the streets to his resting place, and the the boy gets up and lives. If you look at chapter 8, in verse 1, in those first three verses, again, Luke is highlighting this ministry that Jesus had towards women. He says, soon afterwards, he began going around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God, and the 12 were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, And, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, And Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who were contributing to their support out of their private means. Luke doesn't seem afraid, and he doesn't seem out of character to present this great compassion that our Lord has upon these women. And I think what a testimony. Well, the story before us in the parable that we will look at, but more than the parable, we'll look at the surrounding story that gives life to the parable. Now, the story or the parable is that of two debtors. And, of course, the context sets the stage for the parable itself. And we we see right there in verse 31 that there is an invitation from a Pharisee for Jesus to come and dine at his house. Now, what I want to do, and I hope it's a simple enough outline that you will be able to remember it because I remember it, and if I can, you can. But what I want to do in this text of Scripture is I want to introduce you to three people. I want to introduce you to Simeon. Or Simon, the Pharisee. I'm going to introduce him to you. Then I'm going to introduce the woman who is at Jesus' feet. And then I want to introduce to you the prophet Jesus. And as I introduce to you these people, along the way, I will make applications and comments that will cause us to look at ourselves in light of these people. Well, let's look at the Pharisee, as I said, in verse 31, or excuse me, in verse 36, the text tells us that one of the Pharisees, that means there were many of them that were listening and following Jesus at that time, and we have to keep in mind that this is at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, And at this time, there was not a lot of antagonism toward Christ. There was a lot of curiosity. There was a lot of interest. There was a lot of of questions surrounding who Jesus was and his ministry and his power and exactly who is this man, this teacher. And so that's the setting. If you look up into the context, you can see that, You know, Jesus, even uh, after John the Baptist sends some of his disciples to go and ask him, is he the one? And, and, And Jesus says in verse 28, he says, I say to you, among those born of women, there is none greater than John, Yet he who is the least of the kingdom is greater than he. Now when all the people and the tax collectors heard this, they acknowledged God's justice having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purposes for themselves and and not having been baptized by John. I mean, they were in question about him. They wanted to figure this out. And so he was invited to come and dine at one of the Pharisees' homes. Now, who is this Pharisee? Well, we know from the text that he is a prideful man. He is a Pharisee. He is of that fraternal order of Pharisees. They were teachers of the law. They were supposedly knowledgeable of the things of God. They had access to the scriptures. They could read the scriptures, and they were supposed to be well acquainted with and accustomed to the teaching of Holy Scripture. And yet, we know if we read the Gospels and we read... Uh, um, those interactions, particularly later on in Jesus's ministry, that they were a very prideful people and they were more wedded to the traditions of men than they were of God. They were really more educated in the things of men. They focused and gave their attention and energy to impressing upon the people The commandments of men. In fact, let's turn to a a place that helps us see that clearly, and that's Matthew 15. In Matthew 15, verse 1, he says, And then some of the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? You see, that's my point. Not the laws of God. But the traditions of the elders, why do they not wash their hands when they eat bread? And he answered and said to them, why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Now, look at verse 6. I'm just going to read down through here. Uh, and by this, you invalidate the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Look at what Jesus calls them in verse 7. You hypocrites. hypocrites. Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. And of course, they were offended by this. So the Pharisee, Simon, has invited Jesus to come to his house. And he's a very prideful man and and, and prideful in in the sense that he has these positions that he is wedded to, that he is committed to, and his invitation for Jesus to come and recline at his table is not for educational purposes. And in fact, some scholars point out, and they may be correct in this, that His goal was to humiliate Jesus. Now, I think that's a strong statement to make in the beginning of Jesus's ministry. We do believe that that was certainly the goal later on as the the Pharisees would come and challenge Jesus in public. They wanted to embarrass him. But nevertheless, he's asked to come, and it was, it was of tradition, particularly among the Greek philosophers, to have a teacher come and sit in your home, particularly around your table, and pontificate the things of life, philosophy, theology, the things of, that make this world, well, roll and, and turn and move. And the Jews picked up on this as well, and they would have the teacher come. This is possibly after a synagogue teaching. Jesus is asked to come now and recline at this table. He would have been expected to teach, to speak, to talk about the things of life, the things of God. He would have been the center of attention. And yet we know by the text itself that this Pharisee, is full of pride. He is ignorant and an unbeliever. Now we're going to look at this as we go along with the text. Let's look at what Jesus says to Simon. He notices that this woman, and we're going to look at her in just a minute, has come in to this gathering. She wasn't invited. We don't know who she is. She has no name. And we'll look more at her in just a moment. But in verse 39, notice this is the thoughts of Simon. He doesn't say this out loud. He speaks this in his heart. And he says, when the Pharisee had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him. That she is a sinner. More uh, appropriate to the text, a very notorious sinner. Now this Pharisee is revealing his true nature and character he's not a believer he didn't invite Jesus to come and speak of the things of grace and the things of salvation it was more of a just idle curiosity speculations of theology I mean people get involved in that all the time the church is filled with people like Simon they love talking about the scriptures but they don't own the scriptures in their hearts they love pontificating of the things of life, but they have no intention of fashioning their lives to the eternal truths of God, his law, his word. And he speaks to himself, he's talking to himself, and yet he doesn't see Jesus as the prophet that he is. Well, Jesus says up into uh, the text there that you know the people looked at John the Baptist, they critically judged him, and Jesus said he was a great prophet. And Jesus says they looked at him and misjudged him because he did eat with tax collectors and sinners. And Simon's completely confused. He is wrapped up in his own traditions. He's wrapped up in his own pride, his own arrogance, and his own ignorance. And he doesn't see it. He's blind to it. Thus the reason for the parable. Well, Jesus takes that, and again, he highlights this idea in verse thirty-nine. That, and a, if you couple that with the passages over in, in Matthew fifteen, what do we see? That you know, the Pharisees were more concerned about the external things. Don't touch this. Don't touch that. Don't let anything unclean. She's touching Jesus. If he were a real prophet of God, he would recoil at the touch of this sinner. You go back and you read Matthew 15, you will go on to say, Jesus says it's not what goes into the body that pollutes a man that defiles him. It's what comes out of the body. It's a corrupt heart, a sinful heart. And this Simon, this Pharisee, he, he doesn't understand that. He is a typical Pharisee, he is this re- typical religious zealot. I'm sure he's that guy in the church that loves correcting everyone else. Do you know that person? More interested in the externals than the internals. And thus Jesus went on to ask him the question and leads into the parable. And he says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And of course, Simon being the, you know, religious man that he was says, well, speak on teacher. I'm open to these things, which he wasn't. And then Jesus brings up a parable, and this parable, most scholars believe, was a well-known parable of the day. This was not something Jesus made up right then. This was something that was known, and thus he gives the answer to it. And he says, and Jesus gives him the parable. He says, a moneylender had two debtors, and one owed 500 denarii. It's a great sum of money. And the other 50 one ten times more than the other. And when the two were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? You can see how Jesus, being the superb teacher that he is, knows how to get to the heart. He he hasn't embarrassed Simon at all in front of his guests. He's asking him a question, he's presenting to him a parable, and he's giving Simon an opportunity to come to the truth. Now, we can all see from the text that he answers appropriately. He says, Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And that was a great Hebrewism. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. Now, he had the right answer to the parable, but he, it was all wrong in his head and heart. It wasn't a truth that he possessed. He didn't own it. It wasn't a conviction. He had never looked at it as him being one of the debtors. No, Simon was the judge. Simon is the guy that comes and he goes, let's invite Jesus over to my house so that I may judge his teaching. Now you have to realize What Luke has already revealed to us, Luke has already revealed to us that Jesus went around raising the dead. That's no small thing. Healing a multitude of sicknesses, illnesses, and teaching the things of God. Multitudes following him. I mean, this, though Jesus is not well known, but yet Jesus' fame is growing and people are following him and the rumors are going out and he has done incredible things. And notice how Luke interjects the centurion in the chapter, the Greek soldier, Who is so unworthy? Who views himself as being so unworthy? He says, "Jesus, you don't even have to come into my house. All you have to do is speak it, and you will raise my servant from being ill. That's all you have to do. I am unworthy of you, of coming into my house. And yet, look at Simon. Come on in here, Jesus. Let's judge you." Nothing's changed, brothers and sisters. There are masses of people who sit in judgment of Jesus and the things of God all the time. And will claim to be spiritual, will claim to even be believers, will claim to even be religious, and yet. See themselves as worthy to put Jesus and his teaching on trial. It doesn't fare well for Simeon, or excuse me, for Simon. He answers correctly, but Jesus knows he's not a believer. Jesus knows that he doesn't believe that in a trusting way. He hasn't repented of his sins. Even if Simon is the small debtor here compared to the woman that we're fixing to look at, even though her sins are mountainous and great and much, that's what Jesus said, compared to his, where's his repentance? Where's his repentance of even the smallest sin? Because from the very beginning, brothers and sisters, it was one sin that caused the fall of all humankind, the eating of the forbidden fruit. One. Simon doesn't see himself as that sinner but more as a judge. In fact, he goes on to judge even more later when he says, after Jesus tells the woman, your sins have been forgiven, and those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sin? They still didn't grasp who was in their midst not just jesus but even this woman this sinner that should have drove them to repentance you know brothers and sisters this text itself i mean there was all kinds of ways i was thinking about it praying over it and considering you know what how how to present this how what what to title of this in 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 All throughout, I just kept thinking, this is one of the sweetest passages of Scripture that I've looked at in a long time. It truly is a love story. Now, not of the Hollywood type. Please. I would not insult Scripture that way. But a love story, this unnamed woman That's, we have to look at her life in two parts. We have to look at her past life. Her past life is a notorious reputation. The Bible tells us, the scripture tells us that in verse 37 that there was a woman in the city who was a sinner, she's of the city. More than likely, that phrase means that she was of the spirit of unbelief. She was of the, the city life. She was of the, the, not of the religious sort, but of the city itself in all of its sinful ways. We don't know exactly what the sin is. Most commentators believe she was some type of harlot or prostitute. And if that's the case, I wondered if any of the men reclining at the table with Jesus was any of her friends. Notice they never said anything to her. Not one man said anything to her. They ignored her, which I find interesting. But we don't know. We don't know. But what we know is that in the past, the love that this woman had for lust is great. Her love for sin, her love for lust, her love for the the fulfillment, the cravings, the, the desires to sin were part of her life, so much so that she was well known as a woman of the city and even a notorious sinner that even our Lord Jesus said, she's a great sinner. That's her past. One commentator, I believe it was Linsky, I believe a Lutheran theologian said in sort of speaking to why does the scriptures not give this woman a name? And I thought he made a, just a, a piercing comment about the text. He said, because we are to insert our name for her. Meaning that when we look at this nameless woman, we should see our name. Well, what does she do? The point that the text and that Jesus is making and using here to prove that he is a prophet remember he's there was confusion about whether or not he was a prophet John the Baptist was a prophet or well, who is this who is this person raising the dead and healing these sicknesses notice her change she's no longer this this Sin addict. She's no longer this notorious sinner. Now she comes and notice in verse 37, she learned that he was reclining, that is Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house and she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. It wasn't uncommon for ladies of that day to wear a vial of perfume around their neck. That was something common. And what does she do? She comes in uninvited, which demonstrates a fortitude and a desire that was stronger than any rebuff she may have received. There was nothing going to stop her from coming in and sitting at the feet of Jesus. Jesus. This woman, who was known as a notorious sinner, had determined that she was going to go in and anoint the feet of Jesus. Now, there are some commentators that believe that she almost comes to Jesus' defense... Meaning that they were trying to embarrass Jesus, reclining at the table, they were, they were offensive to him, they were sort of being rude to him. And they were, the host was rude to some extent, as we will look at in just a moment. And so she comes in to anoint his feet. I don't think that's the case. I think this woman had been converted from one of Jesus' gospel messages in that region. Uh, t- turn, turn back to Matthew 11. This is in the context of what we are seeing in Luke. Um. You can see right there the unrepentant cities in verse 20 and 24. Uh, Jesus began to denounce the cities to which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which had occurred in you, they would have repented long ago and sat clothed in ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades, for if the miracles had occurred in Sodom which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Now notice this invitation I'm sure it's a snippet of the of the sermon that Jesus preached that Matthew writes down for us. It's what the Holy Spirit wants us to know. But notice in verse twenty five, it says, At that time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. I bet that woman saw herself as that infant. I am unworthy. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by the Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Here's the invitation. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and I will, and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I am of the scholarship group that believes that this woman heard this invitation and believed upon Christ. You can imagine What it would be like to atone for your sins in a works righteousness system. How would you do that? What would you offer? How many hours of the day could you give to atoning for your sin if you had to pay for your own sin? This is what Jesus is dealing with. This is the invitation. He says, listen, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden by what? By your sin and a work system of righteousness. Burdened, bowed down, heavy laden can barely move or breathe you're suffocating under your own sin and when you try to turn from your sin and you try to do something good it doesn't atone for it it only makes it worse and this woman had heeded in a spiritual way the holy spirit had opened her eyes and her heart to embrace this invitation she has come to christ and when she heard that her Savior was at this house, she was going to meet him. And she didn't care if they embarrassed her or not. She was not going to take no for an answer. In fact, her reputation precedes her. She goes in there. She she bows at Jesus' feet, and no one says anything to her because she's such a sinner. She's known as that. So what do we see in this woman? I think that's the context. I think that's the greater context. I think this woman has responded to the gospel. I believe she has con- con- confessed her sin. She has put her faith in trust. She's abandoned this pharisaical work of righteousness, and now she knows what grace is because she's heard Jesus Call her to it. She's heard the gracious invitation to take upon herself his yoke, which is easy and light. So what does she do? Well, she she humbles herself. How does she humble herself? Well, in verse 38, what does she do? She stands behind him at his feet. That was the posture that an inferior would give a superior. She's not full of pride and arrogance like the Pharisee. She has no problem recognizing he's the prophet of God. He's the son of God. He's the superior. I'm the inferior. And so she sits at his feet. What does she do? I mean, you notice she doesn't even speak. We have no recorded words. But she does communicate. Clearly, doesn't she? By her actions, by her posture, by her demeanor. She tells us everything we need to know of what it is to be a sinner, a great sinner. Saved by grace. What does she go on to do? Well, we see not only her humility. She takes a place at his feet. But we also see her sacrifice because she pulls out this perfume. And this perfume was not cheap. This is for her, this sacrifice, this is the anointing of her Savior's feet. She has no problem taking something that's very costly and expensive and giving it to him. Why would she do that? Well, brothers and sisters, because the text tells us that she loved more. She loved more. Why did she love more? Because she was forgiven much. And that meant something to her. You see, her love is the feature of the whole setting, isn't it? It's her love for Jesus that is the, the really the, the the scripture, if you will. Jesus uses this woman and her testimony and her love for Him to condemn these religious Pharisees, and that's the purpose. That's the purpose of the parable. It says that weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. It, it is believed, and I think um, Alfred Edersheim brings up a great word picture here, that from the grammar of the Greek itself, that her intention was probably not to go cry over his feet, but to anoint them and to wipe them with her hair. She's not disheveled in any way. She's not, she doesn't look like some street bum. She's In fact, the way the text presents itself is she's well kept. She comes in, she's she's well dressed and yet as she bends over to her Lord's feet, her hair falls out and the natural thing to do as she wept upon his feet that the text lends itself to be that when she put herself in that posture, in that position, guess what she did? She broke out in tears. In anointing his feet, she began to weep, thinking about how unworthy she is of this grace. And she wept. And and it wasn't a sobbing. It was, in fact, as he, he described it, as the dew of the morning. Gently. Now, Jesus uses this as a condemnation. Her actions speak as a condemnation to Simon the Pharisee. Notice what Jesus says over in verse 44. He says, now turning to the woman. Now he's already asked Simon the question. Now he turns to the woman, but he's still addressing Simon. He's using this woman as this illustration of repentance, of humility, and mostly, and more importantly, of love. He says, turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Maybe he's making him look at her because they've ignored her. I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, which was a custom. Which means that Simon was very rude to Jesus not to have someone there to wash the guest's feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, which is another custom, a kiss on the cheek to welcome a guest. But she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. And you did not anoint my head with oil, Remember Psalm 23. But she anointed my feet with perfume. And for this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Now, The verb, the the tense here is not that what she did earned forgiveness. That's not the picture. She had been forgiven. She had been forgiven. And now this is nothing more than the fruits of her repentance. This is nothing more than the fruit of her love for her Savior. And she's coming to offer herself humbly and lovingly and sacrificially to her Savior. You think about the feet and all I could think about was Isaiah. Oh, blessed are the feet of those who bring the good news of the gospel. He says, for this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many have been forgiven for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And then he said to her, now he turns to her, your sins have been forgiven. You are forgiven, child. And maybe, maybe like us, Jesus was kindly, compassionately giving her that confirmation of forgiveness. We need that from time to time, don't we? We need that. Here and there. How often do we just need that reassuring spiritual unction with the word that our Lord has forgiven us? That we have been cleansed of our sins? That we have repented and we have put our faith in Him? He goes on in verse 49, he says, those who were reclining at the table with him begin to say to themselves, who is this man who, then, who even forgives sin? And he says to the woman, your faith, not your works, not your anointing of my feet, not you wiping them with your hair and uh, watering them with your tears. No, your faith has saved you. Your belief in me as the son of God, son of man. Your belief that God has had mercy and compassion upon sinners. Your belief that God has compassion for the lowly. In the great call of the gospel that my burden is light and my yoke is easy. He says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go be at peace. You can imagine, well, let's at least spend some time focusing upon Jesus. Well, who is Jesus in this text? Well, he's the prophet. He's the one that John says that comes in the bosom of the Father. Look at John 1, verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten of God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him or revealed him or exegeted him. Who is Jesus? He's the prophet of God. Interesting, left. This is where we are in our Wednesday night Bible study, and there were two things about this passage of scripture that I brought out then, and I will bring out now for you this morning. Number one is Jesus that God is not easily accessible, is He? No, the Bible tells us that He condescends to man; that He's high above man. He's I'll say, He's other than. He's above his creation, and unless God come to us in some way or fashion, we cannot know him, see him, or hear him. What's important about Jesus being the prophet of God? Well, he was the one in the presence of God. He didn't just receive a message from God to bring it to the people. He was in the company of God. He was in the bosom of God. He was in the courtroom of God. He is God and the Son of God. What makes Jesus... Prophetic ministry is so important to us because Jesus comes as one who has been in the company of God and he can bring to us the great mysteries and secrets of God. Those mysteries. Jesus comes to reveal to us what? Well, let's just stick with the text. He comes to reveal to us his desire to save sinners and great sinners you know you might be here this morning and you may be a great sinner i I mean not an ordinary sinner a great sinner and satan may have plagued your mind poisoned your mind and heart to say you're way too sinful for jesus I think this woman was shunned most of her life where she would go in and people were like, whoa, that's uh, you know who she is. Don't touch her. You'll be unclean. Think about, the, think about the psychology of that woman and all of the shunning that she had experienced in her life. To hear the words of Jesus say, Come to me I'm okay with it I'll forgive you I'll make you clean I will wash you I will take your sins and remove them from you as far as the east is from the west I will make you my daughter and my sister come to me She heard music. She heard music. She heard something she'd always wanted to hear. Because it wasn't cutting it. The work salvation wasn't cutting it. There was no way she could dig herself out of this hole. She could not get out of the sin hole that she was in. She couldn't battle her sin. She didn't have the spirit of God. She didn't have the grace of God. She didn't have the light of God. She didn't have the love of God and the mercy of God. And until that came to her, then she had the ability to say no to her sin. You know you're going to see her in heaven. What's your name? Because you reminded me of me. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is the true prophet of God. And some people don't see it. Some people won't see it. But he comes with the truth of God, his compassion, his love. He comes to reveal it. He knows the heart. He knows the heart of Simon. He knew the heart of this woman that washed his feet with her tears and dried it with her hair. He knew her heart and he knew that she had been repentant. That's why he said, your sins have been forgiven. You're clean. Your faith has saved you. He knows our hearts, beloved, just as he knew Simon's heart and he knew her heart. And secondly, Jesus is worthy of honor. Jesus was worthy of her going in and washing his feet. Amen? You can say, oh, how embarrassing. Oh, no, no, today's modern world and uh, feminism and all. Oh, not, we need to take that out of the Bible. Don't disgrace that woman like that. Because that woman is an example for every one of us that Jesus is worthy of us washing his feet. As I heard one preacher say, it wasn't a woman who betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, it wasn't a woman who denied Jesus three times. Don't disgrace her by removing her from Scripture. She stands as a memorial of saving humility and grace. And the recipient of grace. Secondly, Jesus is worthy. Uh, And then thirdly, this is the one you really want to hear. He does forgive sin. He can forgive you. He will forgive you if you call upon him, if you come to him. But you have to heed the invitation. You have to come. You have to confess your sins. You have to acknowledge him as Lord and Savior. You have to acknowledge him that he is the one that can, has been sent to cleanse us of our sin. He is the one who has been sent to be our sin bearer. He is the one who has been sent to make us clean and to wash us and to give us peace. You have to believe those things. You have to believe that he is the son of God, son of man. You have to heed his invitation. Come to me. I'm the one who can heal you even if it's only of sin. I love this last part, and we're going to end with this. I love the benediction in verse 50. Because Jesus takes this circumstance and he uses it to his greatest advantage of highlighting God's saving grace. He is saying this to the woman in front of all of these religious leaders. And you know what they wanted? Blessing. But who does he give the blessing to? The repentant sinner. Did did Jesus come and save the mighty? Did Jesus come to save the righteous? Did Jesus come and save the healthy? No. Jesus come to save the lowly. Jesus come to save the unrighteous. Right? Jesus come to save sinners. And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Here's the benediction. Go in peace. Go in my peace. What Jesus is saying is this invitation that you heard, you have. You have received. You've taken that easy yoke upon yourself. Now, go in peace. Go be at peace, woman. Brothers and sisters, those are the words every sinner needs to hear. Go in peace, my child. There's no longer any more wrath between you and the Father. For I've taken it upon myself. The anger of almighty God who is just in every way. His wrath has been justified and it has been removed from you. I have taken it upon myself. Now you go in peace. You have peace. Now go live in it. And go let that peace be abundant in how you live your life. Let's pray. Almighty God, how affected we are over this woman who has no name. How moved we are over the compassion and the mercy. And the love of our Savior toward notorious sinners. His willingness to forgive, his willingness to bless. Lord, we are staggered by the depth of his love toward us. We pray, Father, that as we come now to the Lord's Supper, as we feast upon the body and blood of Jesus Christ, that we would all examine ourselves. We would examine our love. Are we those who love little, which is nothing? Or are we those who love much and understanding that we've been forgiven much? Oh, Father, come and still bless us. Come and bless this ordinance, the feasting upon the body and blood of Christ. Come and bless us, O Lord, as we take to heart these eternal and precious truths for Christ's sake and ours, amen.